It's Wednesday, the 25th of March, and this is the Monocle Minute. Today, the inevitable becomes official as Tokyo postpones the 2020 Olympics. We'll hear from our editor-in-chief, Tyler Brule. Major brands were, of course, lined up behind this, uh, etc. If you are a major company when everyone is so hypersensitive about messaging today, does it become a bit of a blessing if you're an ad agency? Plus, our Hong Kong bureau chief, James Chambers, on how his city is coping with a complete lockdown. And the show must go on in the European Union as accession talks with North Macedonia get back on track. I'm Ben Ryland in London. The Monocle Minute starts now. The coronavirus pandemic claimed yet another high-profile event yesterday with the announcement that the Tokyo Olympics planned for this year will be postponed. Monocle's editor-in-chief, Tyler Brule, spoke to our editor, Andrew Tuck, and our Tokyo bureau chief, Fiona Wilson. Uh, Andrew, of course, we've been talking about this for a while. Would they, wouldn't they? Uh, of course, uh, when I was uh, in Tokyo a few weeks ago, there was obviously this, this discussion as to yeah, what, what would be that, that the farthest that they could push it out um, into 2020. Uh, we're now looking at, at a one-year delay. What do you think that this does for a, a national psyche? I mean, we've been part of this Japan story for so long. We even have a book coming out, not on the Olympics, but certainly in celebration of this. Uh, what, what type of blow, you knowing the country well enough as well? Well, it's interesting that you know, some 70% of Japanese people thought that the Games would be postponed and believe that they probably should be postponed. So in a way, the national psyche has run ahead of the, the declaration by the government today that they will be postponing the Games. I think the, the national psyche will, will, will kind of do okay if the Games happen next year in a way that is seen as not just a celebration of sporting prowess, but also an end to the epidemic, to this pandemic rather, to, to the end of this, this, this terrible story that we're all living. It could be the most extraordinary Games ever if the world can come together in a huge stadium, packed together, celebrating sporting prowess. You can see it as being a huge triumph for the country. So I don't think all is lost. But at this moment, of course, for all the athletes and for all the people involved in planning the Games, a terrible moment of realizing that it just cannot go ahead. Fiona, in Tokyo, there was a, a lot of stories in Japan. There was certainly there was public polls. How, how behind the Games you know, uh, were the Japanese public? Are the Japanese public? You know, as Andrew's saying, do you think that maybe there's a sentiment change? You have a new type of rallying cry. I mean, if we were to believe the numbers, I mean, I, I've always sort of felt that people were reasonably excited about uh, the Games coming. Uh, does this become a new rallying point, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think you saw when the, uh, the Olympic flame arrived, Shinzaba was very keen to present this as a sort of revival Olympics for the northeast of Japan, which was obviously absolutely devastated by the 2011 earthquake. The Olympic flame was there this week. 50,000 people turned up at the weekend to see it. I mean, definitely people are interested. You always have the cynics. It's always the case with the Olympics. But I think, you know, people were, you know, as Andrew said, people had already accepted that the Olympics really were not going to happen this summer. I think that had happened over the last week or two. So, no big surprise, really massive adjustment, of course. And I think, you know, we've been talking about the Olympics for so long. You know, the Olympics were awarded to Japan in 2013. So 
we've had a very long conversation about this event. So I think there is a, you know, it's been quite a sort of up and down period recently, but I think people had come to accept uh, the inevitability. Um, they won't be that surprised. I think actually just making the decision will be a huge relief. Well, Fiona, you're going to have to change your Airbnb bookings, I guess, for your apartment. Andrew, you're going to have to change, of course, uh, all of all of your hotel rooms uh, that you that you had booked uh, from a. And this is, of course, such a big sponsorship uh, event uh, as well. And you know, so many uh, major brands were, of course, lined up behind this, uh, etc. Now, of course, I don't think people are going to want to get out of their contracts. That would look that would look strange. Many are, of course, locked in, of course, as Olympic sponsors. Andrew. If, if you are a major company where this is your, your huge uh, focus, uh, do you think there's even a, a part relief in this era as well? Because you'd have to think about well, what would your message really look like in the Olympics coming out of it? So, you know, aside from the fact it's a shame that it, it's been cancelled, but also when everyone is so hypersensitive about messaging today, uh, does, it be, does it become a bit of a blessing if you're an ad agency? I think for all of the brands, they would have felt deeply uncomfortable going into a Games when other countries around the world were at the peak of their kind of virus difficulties. It just wasn't, it just wasn't possible to have a global message at this time for any of those brands. So I think you're right. I think they're going to be pleased that this has been delayed. It's, it's taken away lots of complicated decisions for them. And also because many of those brands are involved in backing sportsmen and women coming from around the world. And they want this to be a moment of triumph for all of those people. They don't want you know, the backstories of complicated journeys to Japan being part of that. They want this to be pure celebration. So I think from the commercial partners' view, definitely a good decision as well. As you may know, the United Kingdom is one of many countries imposing strict rules on social gatherings. In fact, today's Monocle Minute is coming to you from my kitchen. So from one locked down city to another, Here's our Hong Kong Bureau Chief, James Chambers, on how his city is coping under lockdown. Here at Monocle, we like to keep both an eye and an ear on the world. For me in Hong Kong, that means travelling around Asia, interviewing tons of inspiring people, from Thai politicians in Bangkok to hotel founders in Bali, via Saigon startups and Surabaya City Hall. But all this travel came to an abrupt halt on Sunday, when I arrived home to be fitted at the airport with a smart tag. So long Balinese yarn bracelet, hello Hong Kong, stay home safe wristband. The Department of Health is now using an app on my phone to make sure that I complete a 14-day mandatory home quarantine. It's part of the government's efforts to contain a second wave of imported coronavirus cases that also includes shutting down the borders today to all foreign visitors, including anyone in transit. I'm happy to do my time, of course, and it could be a lot worse. Residents returning to mainland China apparently have a CCTV camera installed outside of their front door. Or at least that's what I've heard from friends. I'm going to have to be a lot more circumspect over the next two weeks, as I won't be able to check any of this for myself. So what can I actually tell you about Hong Kong? Well, from my temporarily narrowed perspective on the city, I can report that two workmen have installed a new air conditioning unit and it's been a smashing few days for tennis on the rooftop courts of the Chinese Recreation Club. Birds have been chirping all day, my local church plays organ music on weekdays, and I've discovered that someone in Hong Kong owns a metallic pink Lamborghini, which has been parked outside the cafe downstairs. Life in Hong Kong is much, much slower at the moment, 
but I'm certainly seeing and hearing another side of my city. Finally today, despite the global pandemic interrupting just about every aspect of our lives, some business must go on. Monocle's affairs editor Christopher Sermak reports on how the European Union is trying to keep things ticking along. Global conflicts don't stop for a virus. And the European Union is doing its best this week to keep operations running as normal as a result. EU foreign ministers held a video conference Monday to discuss not just coordination on the epidemic, but other pressing international concerns, ranging from a proposed military mission in Libya to the conflict in Syria and a new EU migration deal with Turkey. And yesterday they held another video conference to give the go-ahead for EU accession talks for North Macedonia and Albania. EU parliamentarian Andrei Kovacev, in a statement, said that solidarity is fundamental, not only for our physical survival, but also to ensure the continuation of the European idea of unity. EU enlargement is a challenging topic at the best of times, but it's a good sign that the EU is determined to remain open for geopolitical business. My thanks to Christopher Sermak. Elsewhere on today's agenda... As London's streets are empty, the city's free handout magazines and newspapers are having to quickly rethink their business models. Time Out, which has temporarily rebranded itself as Time In, is now digital only and has switched its focus from events to live stream listings from the likes of the Royal Opera House and Sadler's Wells Dance Theatre. The Evening Standard newspaper, meanwhile, has adopted a different strategy and will now be delivering direct to homes across the city's residential zones. But one of the hardest-hit publications is The Big Issue, which is sold by the homeless as a means of supporting themselves financially. Founder Lord John Bird has launched an urgent appeal for readers to take out a digital subscription, one easy way to go on helping those in need. And some brands are getting creative with the way they continue operating during the lockdown. Beg & Co, the Scottish cashmere label, has created Our Comfort Blanket, a website in which the brand shares playlists, book reviews, recipes and meditation tips. Meanwhile, Italian luxury powerhouse Bottega Veneta will this weekend launch Bottega Residency, in which the brand broadcasts musical performances and movies and shares recipes from up-and-coming chefs across its digital channels. Read more about today's stories by subscribing to our daily email bulletin at our website. I'm Ben Ryland. The Monocle Minute returns on Thursday.